Welcome to the Real Estate Trainer Podcast with your host, Brian Eisenhower. This podcast is brought to you by Eisenhower Coaching and Consulting. ICC provides customized and structured coaching and training programs for real estate agents and team leaders, representing many of the top producing agents in North America. ICC also offers broker and owner consulting on agents recruiting, training, and retention. For more info, visit EisenhowerCoaching.com or find us on Facebook. Don't people please win the negotiation. Win the negotiation. So I want to give you six little tactics, okay? That's going to help us. I want to talk about some negotiation tactics. And by way of negotiation tactics, I think you're really going to like this. I want to start by the concept of getting a no. I mean, this isn't just general sales too. I mean, this could be a sales technique or negotiation techniques. People are so adverse to no, to getting told no. I, I cannot tell you that enough, whether it be sales or negotiating, we run away from that pain like you wouldn't believe, right? We're always trying to get yeses. We were people pleasers by nature, right? So we're always trying to, you know, we're always trying to get yeses and stay away from anything that would elicit a no from the other side right? We see it like a negative word and it doesn't translate that way over into sales and negotiation. In fact, in negotiation, it almost feels like heaven to tell the other side no, because it shows you no, like I'm a good negotiator. I just told you no. You know what I mean? Like if I, I think back to when I was a little kid and my dad would take me to uh, across the border to Mexico and I'd want like the, uh, you know, one of those ceramic whatevers that probably cost 10 cents. So I think they're ceramic Bart Simpsons or something, you know, and, and I, I'd want one of those. And my dad would show me his negotiating prowess by, you know, drawing a hard line and telling the vendor, no, you know, that's, you know, that's, that makes you, you know, saying no makes you a good hardliner. Um, and, it, and it shows you're doing your due diligence in the negotiation. And if you tell someone no enough times, it actually gives you the okay to say yes, believe it or not, because you've you've done your job, you've shown your prowess. You say no enough times, then you can say, oh, okay, I'll take it. And my dad would walk away and I'd think he was so awesome because he said no so many times. So believe it or not, if I was the vendor that wanted to sell the Bart Simpson ceramic doll, I'm actually excited to get a bunch of no's out of my dad because I know if I get him out of the way, he's about to say yes. So running from no's, being afraid of getting a no from the other side actually is the wrong way to look at it, okay? Conversely, if you push too hard to get yeses, I mean, that's that's like a death of a salesman right there. I mean, that, that's gonna end the deal. That's what's gonna get people to hang up on you. That's what gets people to stop a negotiation. Be okay with getting a no from the other side. Be all right with it, okay? It starts the, it should start the negotiation. It should not end it. Remember how we talked about the concept of letting the Marlin run in sales when you're doing a needs analysis? Remember that? How we've talked about, sometimes you gotta let them go because they have a lot to say. They have a lot they wanna do. They wanna show their prowess or they wanna tell you their story. And you got to let them go for a while to get it out of their system. 
Same concept here with nose. We gotta let them get those out of those systems, right? So really important. It actually lets them feel like they're in control. It makes them, gives them safety and security because they're in control of this. No, cross that arms. No, I won't buy that ceramic Bart Simpson doll for five bucks. Make it four bucks. No, you know, I'm in control here. I'm showing my son who's boss too. See what I'm saying? Oftentimes that no is just impulsive that way. Like I've got to do that. I'm going to go into this negotiation. I'm going to tell him no a few times. We've talked all the time. Imagine you walk into Nordstrom's, right? First thing you hear, the first thing you do, the first words out of your mouth when you walk into Nordstrom's, whether you know it or not, are always no. Walk into one, see what I'm talking about. Try to walk into Nordstrom's all by yourself and not have the first words out of your mouth be a no. Because you're going to walk into Nordstrom's. They're going to say, welcome to Nordstrom's. Is there anything I can help you with? And you're going to say, no, I'm just looking. You all say the exact same thing. It's impulsive. You have to say it. You don't even stop thinking about it. In fact, if you're like me, I don't know my way around Nordstrom's. And I'm there and I'm not just looking because I don't go to Nordstrom's just to look. I actually know exactly where I what I need. And I also probably don't know where it is. So in theory, I should say, actually, yes, I could use your help. Where are the brown leather belts? But I don't, I say no. But Nordstrom's does not give up on me. They stay with me. They have customer service peoples everywhere. They have checkout booths everywhere. They have people who give me directions everywhere. They stay with it. That lady doesn't quit. She gets told no all day long at the front, all day long, okay? So it's a safe, so don't be afraid of getting them, right? Um, it's also a great way to find out, you know, it will give you time, first of all, right? When they tell you no, the whole point, especially when we're in negotiation, going back to the needs analysis, is to come from curiosity and key back to asking questions, right? You can see why we talked about the needs analysis and how that is the most important conversation in all of real estate, in anything you do is learning how to give that needs analysis, right? It's everything. So I really do, I think it's the high, it's the most important conversation. Start everybody in real estate with it. And how to keep asking questions, how to come from curiosity, how to have that coaching, recruiting conversation, sales conversation, listing presentation, or negotiation. And we're gonna keep asking questions, getting that no, it gives you, when you get the no, it gives you time to think of your next line of questioning, right? It's also a great way to find out the other side's boundaries. You know when, okay, that's too much, they don't need that. Or maybe we start to learn their objections so we can think about how to isolate those objections and overcome them in the conversation later. We start to find out where they start and stop. But we gotta get to those no's to know where those boundaries are, right? If you if you skip past the no's, if you don't get if you don't dig deep and try to get to a few no's and you just stay in people pleasing mode. Not only will you not find out their boundaries and not find out their objections and not dig deep enough to find out their true feelings and emotions, you'll often get a yes that's not meaningful, right? And I think we've talked about it. There's a great book, if you have, don't have it, by Chris Voss called Never Split the Difference. He talks about there being three types of yeses, three types of yeses, okay? Yes, number one is the counterfeit yes. Okay. I do this one a lot. I got to tell you. And, and the reason I'm, I'm just venting and putting it out there to the universe, because this is just me atoning for my sins. It's a straight lie. 
It is. It's like, sure, I'll call you back. Yeah, I'll call you back. You bet. Just let me know. I'm totally free for you. Anytime. Just call. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I mean well by that. And I, because I don't want to get into a long, weird conversation about, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to have time to ever talk to you. I think part of the reason I say yes to people is, and then I don't really get back or I don't have time because I just don't. It's because I really want to see who wants it. If someone comes at me enough times, I might reply to them because so many people just want to pick your brain and they say they'll follow up and they don't. That means they didn't really want it that bad. So it's almost like a natural tester to see who really wants to bring it. So what I do is I really just say yes, almost in a counterfeit fashion. I don't really mean the yes. So if you, if you stay with yeses, you may not get a genuine one from me. You might just get a counterfeit yes, right? Or there's a confirmation yes. And this is what happens when someone asks you a question with a downswing, okay? So they put an embedded command or a tie down on the end of a, a statement like, you know, you wanna actually hire me, don't you? So I downswing with a question. So I elicit a yes. And when I do that, you're going to start nodding and say yes, because that's neuro-linguistic programming. That's called NLP. I'm going to get you to say yes. I just don't really mean it. So I'm not going to follow through for you. So I can get you a lot of fake yeses all day long that way. That's called a confirmation yes. It's, it's when you use a tie down to get it. It's not an open-ended yes. It's not a genuine yes. Okay, that's good to keep someone talking or keep someone on the phone or keep someone nodding in converting a sales. But when you're negotiating, I mean, eventually you've got to come to an agreement that you want the other person to actually uphold, right? So just getting and eliciting a quick yes through NLP, not the best move, right? So a tie down doesn't commit. I want a commitment, yes. And that's what Voss refers to when he talks about negotiating with a genuine S, right? Uh, getting that commitment, yes. Okay. It's when the other side sees your goal as his own. You generally have a meeting on the mind and you don't feel like there's a ton of sacrifice. Okay. So back to that, that's why no works for us so well. Okay. They, they have a lot of benefits. So don't be afraid to move to them. Okay. There's two ways to get a no really, right? You can intentionally label their emotions like we've talked about, right? So we can actually get a, 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 get a no and just do it incorrectly. Like, it sounds like you're feeling frustrated when they're not frustrated, okay? You can actually label their emotions incorrectly um, and it forces them to actually listen and correct you. So that actually gets them re-engaged in the conversation, like a pattern interrupter, it brings them back in. And I know this is high level conversation, high level sales, but you know, that's what you signed on for with me. If you need to engage someone, labeling their emotions incorrectly brings them back to the forefront and really pause after you do it. See if they bite, you know what I'm saying? No can also be gotten by asking them what they don't want, okay? So what don't you want? What, what are you hoping to avoid here? Is there something you're afraid of here? Those types of questions really resonate with people. You're like, oh yeah, like I don't want, you know what I mean? Like you don't wanna say, oh nothing, I'm afraid of nothing, whatever you wanna do. They, they, they have to re-engage with you there, okay? And when they give you that no, I, I don't want you to think of it as a rejection. Like I said earlier, I want you to think of it as them saying, I'm either not ready to agree, or I don't understand yet, or I don't think I can afford it, or I want something else, or I need more information, 
or maybe I want to talk it over with someone else, which those are all objections we can overcome. In other words, we're not done. It's not over. So trying to get a lot of no's just helps us discover those things. And after you get those no's and you don't know which one of those it is, you simply ask questions to keep the conversation going, to keep the line of curiosity going, to keep the needs analysis going. What those questions, and I just want these to be your defaults that you program in your mind when you're selling, doing a needs analysis, coaching, recruiting, most importantly, negotiating, because you need to, all of you need to be more patient when you, when you negotiate. When you're doing those things, when, when they hear that no, I want you to ask them, what about that doesn't work for you? What about that doesn't work for you? Or what would you need to make it work? Or it seems like there's something here that bothers you. See how I'm digging deeper beneath the surface? They said, no, I'm saying, tell me why in a more sophisticated way than just saying why, because why tends to be condescending. Like why, you moron, don't do that. Come into what about this bothers you? Tell me more about that, act patient, act engaged, right? Um, I'll give you an example of, of, of a typical negotiation you might do with someone you negotiate. I mean, if you're a top producer and you have a home inspector, like you know, and everything we coach, if you are gonna lead generate, if you're gonna make the time to generate new business and grow your business, you're gonna do that in the morning. And if you haven't been able to do it, it's because you don't time block and you don't do it in the morning and you wait to do it. And you know, you should do it each day. And then you give up each day and you get depressed and you say, I can't do it. And oh my goodness, all that terrible stuff that goes with time management. It's awful. There's another book called The Miracle Morning for Real Estate Agents by Hal Enrod that'll tell you the exact same thing. But if you really want to do the hard stuff, you do it in the morning, right? And we time block and we time manage it. So all top producers that do this block time in the morning to generate business. Yet, one of the biggest disruptors to grow your business is home inspectors. Why? Home inspectors only like to work in the morning before noon. Why? They're freaking human beings. They're lazy. That's why. They want to be done and they want to be golfing by 12.30. So they always schedule their home inspections early. So they get done with work early. But that doesn't work for my lead generation schedule. So all of a sudden, we are in a negotiation with the home inspector as to when I'm available for them. Or maybe, you know, so we have to get a negotiation. They want to do it at 8 a.m. You want them to do it afternoon. Maybe we meet in the middle. We got to find like an 11 or 1130 that works. So you can still get your lead gen time done. Maybe we got to convince them to get a lockbox so they don't need you there to access the property. You know what I mean? A lockbox key or something. You know, we got to find a way to make it work, but we don't give in right? We're going to be, we're going to be negotiating with a home inspector. A lot of people don't consider that a negotiation. Why? Because they don't want to lead generate. Why? Because they don't care about their family and their success and their income. That's why they'll throw themselves under the butts to people, please. With a freaking home inspector though, they'll do that. They'll throw their kids right under the bus. Kids, home inspectors, screw the kids. I'm going to let the home inspector. In. It's true. A lot of you are to say, I do it all the time. I just don't think of it that way. Well, I do. I guess that's why people get a coach, huh? Right? So we got to get into those types of negotiations all the time. We got to start getting no's from people. We got to start holding the line, right? Okay. So how do we do that with people? Like, first of all, it's going to take patience. Okay. We got, we can't be afraid of no's. I think I've established that. We cannot be afraid of no's. We got to not be people pleasers. Okay. 
So let me give you an idea just to kind of show you how this works. We got to be patient. We got to be willing to get into long conversations and get through some uncomfortable no's. So those of you that are S behaviors and I behaviors who really got into real estate because you just love people, this is going to be harder for you. You got, I mean, I'm, but I mean, I mean, either you get good at this or you have a fiduciary duty to disclose to your clients that you're not a good negotiator because you tend to people please with the other agent. Have fun with that one. So let's work on getting uncomfortable and getting better at drawing a hard line and advocating on behalf of our party and their best interests. Make sense? Okay, we're good with that. All right, so let's, let's but, but hey, I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are all watching this right now. So you're the ones willing to learn, right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna try not to berate you too much. So first I gotta tell you a couple boring things, right? There's this behavioral change stairway model that psychologists use. It's called the BCSM. You do not need to remember that. But just understand I didn't make this stuff up, okay? Um, and it, it, it prescribes to a, a theory called unconditional positive regard. You do not need to remember that either, okay? BCSM is based on the theory of unconditional positive <clears throat> regard. And basically that's the theory that you can accept someone for who they are not what society wants them to be. We don't have to make a like an aggressive loud mouth become a small like you know hero in the movies, you know, li you know that everybody likes like Clint Eastwood, a man of few words, right? So we, we don't need we, we just accept people who are who they are and we go with their strengths and we move with them. We don't try to change their core behavior. Okay? And there are five stages of BCSM to change someone's behavior for a temporary period of time. And it helps you get influence over them so they voluntarily change their behavior. Otherwise, you're that hardliner like my dad at the Mexican-American border trying to negotiate for that Bart Simpson ceramic doll that's just saying, no, no, no. And you're just gonna meet in the middle somewhere, usually where the other side wants you to go. But if they see the other, if, but if you can get the other side to see where you're at and give you a win-win and get in alignment with you, you get a much better outcome, okay? A much better outcome. So we really want them to change their way of thinking, change their overall behavior so that they actually see the end result, your end result, your goal as their goal too. And that takes a little bit more patience and a lot more use of the tactics I've been going over, okay? So... A good negotiator digs in, just like an FBI hostage negotiator, man. They don't move fast. Sometimes they bring a sleeping bag and they're there and they get a tent and they're there for days because they don't move too fast. I don't need you to do that in business, but we do need to be a lot more patient, right? And a lot of this you already know. Stage one is active listening, okay? And we've talked about that. That's, your, that's coming from curiosity. That's your need is analysis, right? Coming from curiosity, taking them down a path of self-discovery through a series of questions, okay? Then we move into step two of five stages. Step two is empathy. We've talked about that too. We don't argue their weaknesses. We don't get too hostile. We don't try to like argue their core behavioral traits or the way they're behaving or anything like that. We don't tell them to start acting reasonable. We don't tell them to calm down. We don't tell them to feel differently. We don't knock the way they're feeling. We don't say, I don't understand why you're upset. We don't say that. We don't break rapport that way, okay? Instead, we find ways to empathize with their behavior. We seek to understand why they feel that way and try to find ways where we can relate to the way they feel. You cannot tell someone how to feel. 
They have to kind of go through that experience themselves. Okay? So active listening, empathy. Then we move into rapport. Okay? And the way we do rapport, we've talked about that too, is we label them. We identify their feelings and their emotions. Remember we use that, that uh, feelings wheel, that emotions wheel? So we label it, we identify it, and then we validate it back to them to show that we get it. And we've talked about that in, in, in you know, and now we're building a rapport. They're like, oh, this guy gets it. He's with me, he understands, he empathizes with me. He's, and I'm building rapport by kind of telling them that I do, right? That rapport building, that validation is huge. Then we move into getting their influence. And that's where we are now. We move into getting their influence. And we do that by trying to create kind of a subtle epiphany with them that gets them to say the magic words. Like, that's right, or you got it. Like, this guy gets me. Once we're there, we have their influence, right? And then step five is a behavioral change. And that's when we get what we want in our negotiation. We move forward with our goal, right? So how do we get that? that that's right. What I said before is we label and paraphrase their words back to them, their emotions back to them. And that allows you to get the that's right because it allows them to agree with you. Because they've been telling you no, you've been back and forth, you've been finding their boundaries, all those types of things, testing boundaries, no's, yeses, all those types of things. Now they finally get a chance to agree with you without feeling like they've lost control. In fact, instead they feel like they brought you to their side because now you understand their emotions. This is Jedi stuff here. If you're bored, okay. I'm telling you big conversations, this is how it happens. You want high level training, you're getting the highest. This is the neuro-linguistic program, okay? Stick with me, all right? I'll give you an example of what that looks like, how we label the emotions. So I'm understanding your frustration. I'm hearing that you're upset because three groups of buyers have left doors unlocked in your home they've left the lights on after looking at your home correct uh, that's frustrating that actually makes me upset and a little bit shameful so see how i'm talking emotion and feeling here am i correct here and they're gonna say yes you are all of a sudden that's gonna they're not mad anymore because they know i get it i've labeled their emotion they're gonna calm down with me i'm building rapport and influence I don't need to fight. They don't need to keep running like that Marlin. They don't have to keep going on and on and on. We can move forward now, right? They've accepted my empathy, okay? I've built the rapport. We're no longer fighting anything. It just breaks a total negative pattern of disagreement. And that's a big deal in negotiating and sales is having pattern interrupters, okay? Where someone's spiraling. You ever been in that where I'm losing this person? Like I'm, you know, you gotta, you think you're gonna get that listing, you're in that listing agreement and you think, you know, which is a negotiation. They wanna wait, they're not sure, they're uncertain about the market. They don't think there's some, another home that they can buy. And you're trying to explain to them, this is how everybody does it. You gotta get the house up for sale and we're not gonna have to accept an agreement. We can even get a seller's contingency if we need be, that kind of thing. And you think you're almost there, then they start, well, I don't know, those rates are so high. And I mean, it's just a hassle right now. And I don't know, my wife's got a medical procedure coming up and you can just see it's getting out of control. We're not gonna list this house. How do we stop that pattern? A pattern interrupter. Negotiating tactic number two. What does a pattern interrupter look like? There's lots of them, right? Face-to-face, um, -face, my favorite one is just knock a drink off the table. Just knock it right off the freaking table. Whoops, I'm not joking. I've done that at least 20 times. 
I've knocked on their lap. I've knocked on my lap. I just knocked it off the side of the table. It's like, whoa, we better give something. Do you have a cloth? And it just stops it. Very common. Okay. Anything like on the phone, all of a sudden, hang on, my dog's barking. Would you stop it? Blah, 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 blah. Stop it. Or, you know, scold a kid, anything to stop it. Loud. Something to take off because they will spiral emotionally, just keep going down. Like they're on a roll, hot like butter. They're on a roll and they're just going to keep going. You got to stop it because those emotions spiral and it's so comfortable for them because it takes them out of action. They were going to have to list their house. And even though they get and they want to list their house and they want to move, what they don't want to do is deal with people coming through it, fixing it up, having people coming through on the weekend, having a log, but just, eh. I want to go to the gym, but man, it'd be so much easier if I slept it. Your best interests are still in mind. They just don't like the uncomfortable activities to get there. You almost had them motivated to do the best thing for them and their family. Don't let them talk themselves out of their best interests, right? Break the rapport, start over, okay? Or just stop, and face-to-face is my favorite too. Another one, you, you don't have to knock the, the, the drink over. I like it if you're, you know, this is, you SNIs, um, this is where you are good. This is where you actually touch them, okay? be careful don't just touch them anywhere or any way but a great thing to do is just grasp just with your fingers like that grab someone's wrist and stare them right in the eyes and say hey man that sounds pretty serious i mean i mean this is where you label the emotion man you said i mean you seem pretty upset about that all of a sudden it's like whoa and that's a pattern interruption they stop the spiral and i label their emotion with it. those all work and they stop and those are high level techniques guys High level, because as far as, you know, I think I've said this before. I mean, almost everybody I meet, especially you males, you all think you're great negotiators. I, you know, and if you've been in real estate, you definitely know that. Every husband is the best negotiator. They know how to negotiate, right? Everyone, there's none that aren't. None of them know any of this. They all do that Bart Simpson doll thing. Make sense? And there's a lot here to digest, man. There's a lot here. So let me give you some other techniques for, for changing course, because this stuff's kind of cool. This is like your, this is your bag of tricks, right? Effective pauses. Start pausing, putting gaps in between your sentences, right? Um, silence is extremely powerful and it can do a lot of the heavy lifting for you. So it slows people down and calms down before you change direction, right? So all of a sudden your cadence starts to break. And see how suddenly that just kind of gets you to pay more attention when I start doing that. Start doing that and you can get people to re-engage. Don't do it for too long or you'll roll your eyes back in your head. But you do it a few times and it starts to get them. Um, and then what you start to do is what we call minimal encouragers. A minimal encourager is where you start being very positive with them. You start nodding with them. You start saying, yes, okay, uh-huh, I see. Where you're just getting on their side. You can get them to change direction if they feel like you're on the same team, where you're getting very encouraged, you're getting encouraging to everything they say. It subtly shows you're paying attention to, and it makes you feel like you're working together. We've already talked a lot about mirroring their behavior, right? How we can mirror and match them, right? Behave and speak like they do. That helps to subconsciously build tons of rapport. Like I'm picking up what they're putting down. We've talked about labeling too, how we label their emotions. That gives them validation that we understand how they're feeling and lets them, and again, we're on the same team. I can move on now. This guy gets me, right? Very important. Paraphrasing, I just talked about that a minute ago. Paraphrasing 
Uh, we also call that key phrase backtracking and mirroring. You know, that's a great thing to say back to them is it's saying back to them exactly what they said, but just paraphrase it a little bit differently. So what you're saying is just help me. I just want to be sure I'm hearing you correctly and then say exactly what they said to you. Just paraphrase it back. You'd be shocked at how far that takes you giving that type of validation of your understanding. Huge, 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 right? Giving a summary. I mean, this is just probably semantic at this point. You can give someone a summary, which is just com combining the labeling and the paraphrasing, where you actually paraphrase back at them. And you also tell them, and that may, you know, tell them how they feel as a result of that. You do that, I'm telling you, you start to gain that empathy, right? Very, very powerful, very, very good experience for them as well too, right? Okay, so I wanna wrap up by saying this. When negotiating, I don't want you to always think of the win-win situation as your ultimate goal here, okay? In the general understanding of win-win. I don't want you to rip somebody off, but don't feel like we always have to meet to this middle point and, and people are gonna give an equal amount of sacrifice here. I don't think if you, you know, if you asked any of your clients or even yourself or your family, whoever you're negotiating behalf of, that they want an equal compromise. I mean, think, I mean, if you ever get into a situation where you have to go to a mediation over a real estate dispute, understand that those mediators nine times out of 10 take you right to the middle. And that's not a good result. Most people don't want that. That's why both parties often leave a mediation a little bit unhappy. Make sense? That's where they ultimately go. It's not, no one ever feels that good because no one really wins that. So a compromise isn't always the best idea. It's why we negotiate. Quite frankly, going to the middle and just compromising is quite lazy as a negotiator, right? Don't people please win the negotiation, win the negotiation, okay? Don't compromise. Compromise is just based on fear, like you're gonna totally lose it, okay? That, to that fear of total loss is what creates it, right? Um, so understand we don't wanna be doing that understand that when we negotiate everything we do is based on fear why because everything's based on emotions we've talked about this a hundred times when you're selling anything or buying anything or negotiating anything we always do it based on negotiation emotion not logic emotion drives us first okay we try to tell ourselves we do things rationally based on logic, but we don't, okay? All of our decisions are initially governed by our emotions, okay? They lead our decisions, okay? Even though we, th we try to tell ourselves we use logic, that's not the way it works. We feel something first, make a decision, and then we go back and use logic to justify that decision. That's why we are patient with the process and we actually label emotions to change behavior first. We don't skip over emotions like tough guys or you're, you're going to be a lazy, bad negotiator that, that's a one trick pony that just says no all the time crossing their arms. Right. So we don't do that. Right. I mean, we want I'll give you an example. We want to buy a new car. Right. We go to the car lot. We know we're going to have to negotiate. We know that if we find a car we like, maybe it's a little nicer than we want, it's gonna, you know, we imagine ourselves in it, we imagine what our friends are gonna think, we imagine what our family's gonna think, we imagine how we're gonna feel behind the wheel, we imagine how we're gonna feel owning this car, um, and we imagine ourselves feeling accomplished, happy, all those types of things. 
Then right before we actually decide to buy it or shortly thereafter, maybe on the way home, we start justifying it to ourselves. Well, at least my clients are gonna like it. I can, I can write it off as a tax deduction. Um, it's gonna make me look more professional. Plus I got 5% off, you know, all those different things we use to justify it as a logical decision. That's the process we go through. Emotion first, logic section. second. So don't assume you're being rational. And more importantly, do not assume that the other side is gonna see things your way or act rational either because they have different emotional feelings because, because they come from things from a different context than you, especially if you have different opinions about this. That's what a negotiation is. It starts with different opinions. They don't experience your emotions. So you have to seek first to understand and dig deep, right? You have to, that's the whole key to this, right? So really important on this, I wanna give you six little tactics, okay? that's gonna help us. There's a concept called the, the prospect theory, okay? And the prospect theory is based upon a certainty effect, right? And the certainty effects is people would rather follow a choice with certainty rather than go through even what could be a more prosperous behavior than that might cause them to lose something, right? It's why a lot of people would much rather take a salary than a commission job, right? Because it feels like certainty. Like if you tell your mom, hey, I got a job, mom. Great, what are you, a real estate agent? She's like, that's not a job. That's only a job if you succeed at it, right? But if you say, I got a job, it's gonna pay me 80 grand a year. Go, okay, you got a job, that kid's really gonna make it. Yet as a real estate agent, you can make a lot more than 80 grand a year. So people, generally speaking, will gravitate. That's why real estate's a secondary career to a lot of people. That's why they initially go into a steady paying job first until they get the courage, the knowledge, the confidence, or the financial wherewithal to go into real estate. That's why that's how it usually works that way. It's that loss conversion theory, right? So basically in that, to get people to overcome that, to take a risk, to change their behavior with you, to give up a little bit, I'm gonna give you six quick prospect theory tactics, then we're done. Okay, these are pretty quick. Number one, we always anchor their emotions first. And I've kind of talked about this before. It's similar to, similar to labeling, right? We start with an accusation that acknowledges their fears. I'm gonna come back to that. We start with an accusation that acknowledges their fears, okay? And then um, it causes them to jump to an opportunity to avoid loss, okay? Let me give you an example of what that looks like, okay? Conversation of my home seller might look like this. I have bad news for you. Um, and it's gonna frustrate you a little bit. Um, it frustrates me and it might even frustrate you with the process in our entire industry. It bothers me, I can tell you that right now. It makes me angry and shameful sometimes. Your house didn't appraise for value and I'm sorry about that. What I wanna do about it is I wanna, I wanna try to counter the buyer's offer because they want a price reduction on your home now because the home didn't appraise. So I wanna counter that back and require them to come up and at least meet us halfway or pay the difference or something like that. So I start with that accusation. In other words, I, I'm kind of accusing them that you're gonna be mad or you're gonna be angry or you're gonna be upset or you're gonna be frustrated. So I, I kind of lead, that's my leader to kind of preemptively strike it. So I anchor their emotions there. And then I tell them the bad news and quickly my plan to overcome it, right? So I anchored it first and I anchored them, not in me, I anchored them in the, the process the appraiser, 
the industry. I put them there, not me. See what I'm saying? So I anchored their emotion in something else. <laughs> not me, the person who's negotiating with them. That's what I mean by anchoring their emotions. I put it on something else. So I acknowledge, I validate it, and I label it, but I put it somewhere else. See where this all kind of builds up into a tactic? You have to learn all these concepts. <laughs> it's, again, people pay a lot of money to go to college for this stuff. Or I guess grad school. So we move into that, okay? Then, okay, so never, ever anchor the emotions in myself. Never anchor them in the other agent. And never anchor them in the other party. So if I'm talking to the seller, don't get the buyer mad at the seller. Don't make yourself the hero that way. That will back, that will come back to sting you every single time in real estate. Don't ever let your client be mad at the other agent or the other client. Because once you do that, they're gonna reject anything they want for the rest of the transaction, which is gonna make your life miserable and not get them what they want. Do not ever anchor their emotions in the other client, obviously yourself or the other agent, or it's gonna make your representation of them a living nightmare, okay? Rule number one, that's why we don't ever let buyer and seller talk to each other and we don't ever let them get mad at the other agent. A lot of agents make this mistake because they wanna act like the hero. They wanna get, get you mad at the other agents and say, I'm saving the day. Don't do that because you won't save the day for long, okay? Tactic number two, let the other guy go first most of the time. And this is hard for people. They wanna get this done, get this button down. I hate limbo. So what do I do? I, I go first. Do not hit the ball over the net. See what they do with it. Sometimes they just hit it right back in the net. Sometimes they hit it out. You don't have to do a thing. Just give it to them and see what they do with it. Okay. You'll be shocked. Sometimes they start really low or really high. You're like, whoa, I don't have much ground to move now. Or there, you know what I mean? So try to get them to start as much as possible. You know, and, and you know, we do that. Like, what price were you thinking if you're negotiating with the other side? You know. What price does it need to be to get that accomplished? Try to find out from them. Buyers ask the listing agents. Listing agents ask the buyers. Find out. If you're trying to negotiate with maybe a hard money lender or something, or you know, what's a fair interest rate to you? What's a fair loan term to you? If they ask you terms, hit it back over the net. I don't know, what's fair to you? What do you usually do? Don't just people please, don't just answer. Come from curiosity, ask questions, let them go first in everything in negotiation with your kids, with your spouse, with freaking everybody. Hit the ball back over the net. Number three, if they don't let you hit it over the net and they say, no, no, you tell me. A good negotiator will do that. You know when you got someone who's had some training, right? No, no, you tell me, which won't happen much, but it will happen to good experienced negotiators. Then what you do is you come back. Don't give them the number though. Give them a range. Well, I was thinking, you know, somewhere between I don't know, I've been hearing seven to 10%. What do you think? What do you think about that? So I'm hitting the ball back over again. Go first. I only went halfway first, you know? Or, well, I was thinking, you know, somewhere at least over 450,000, you know? So I, I just give them a range. What do you think about somewhere in the 400s, thousands, 400 to 500,000, somewhere in there sound fair? You know, I just kind of give them a range to come back with so they still have to go first. So we establish that range and we get them to go first at the same time. Um, does that make sense? You can also, okay, so, so tactic number four for negotiation. Pivot out of the core term, which is usually a price or an interest rate. 
get off of price and pivot to a non-monetary item. Start negotiating on that first, right? And then what you want to try to do is consider what you can give up. Like maybe I can give them a few little things like the barbecue in the back. You know what I'm saying? So before we even talk about price, hey, by the way, did you want that barbecue in the back? Did you want that spa, that above ground spa? You know, and just say, you know, why don't you take that? You give them a few yeses. They feel like they've already negotiated hard and they've done something good. They've done their job. They've done their due, due diligence. And they'll give a, a lot on the big thing. Because a lot of people just want to be that Bart Simpson job. They want to search. They want to be able to say they got something to somebody else. So try to pivot to that, right? Maybe you can pay moving costs, change the close of escrow date, give a signing bonus, tighten inspection times, start negotiating on those first and give a few, then go to the big ticket item, the price, okay? So pivot to a non-monetary is, value is number four. Number five, when you talk numbers and you do make your counter offers, Use odd numbers, not even numbers. I think a lot of people know this, right? So don't use 580,000. Use a number like 579,000. What that does in a negotiation, when you put a zero on there, it feels like you're just picking arbitrary round numbers and it implies that you can be talked down, okay? When you use an odd number, it makes it feel like you've calculated and you've thought it through and that's as high as you can go. That's why. It feels like you've given every inch you can. Now, I'm not saying get obnoxious and say 579, 999, and 99 cents. I mean, you don't have to go that far with it, but you get the idea. I mean, we're, we're too big ticket of an item to be doing too much of that. But 579 over 580,000, I like that, okay? Believe it or not, this is a weird one. A lot of people don't like to do this, but surprising someone, I'll say the last tactic is surprise someone in the middle of a negotiation with a gift. You're being patient. You're going back and forth over the time. You know, give a thank you card. You know, send them something. You know, you're in the negotiation. You start to learn things they like. Give them a gift card to that in the middle of it. Thanking them publicly with Facebook posts is wonderful. Like if you get an offer under contract, but you know you're going to have to negotiate repairs and things. Thanking them. Thanking a listing agent, another agent for, for you know, getting under contract and accepting your offer is huge. Get real creative right here. Give them some Google reviews ahead of time. Give them, you know, like their Facebook page. Give little acts of kindness during the negotiation softens them up and makes them feel a little bit of social guilt to repay the favor, okay? So make sure we slowly do that, okay? Always look for ways to emphasize and get on their side. It builds rapport, okay? It'll make them reciprocate or at least feel obligated to. Okay. It makes them not want to shut you down. If you just gave them a five-star Google review, they don't want to shut you down. They're going to try to accept your offer. So find ways to give little guilt. I mean, to give little, sorry, guilt. It is guilt, social guilt. And I finally got done. That's the, uh, that's finally the end. That's a lot of tactic. That's a lot of tactic. So I hope you get something. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Trainer Podcast, sponsored by Eisenhower Coaching and Consulting. For more information about real estate coaching or to watch Brian's training videos, check out therealestatetrainer.com or find us on social media. And remember, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they're available.